Three, two, one, go. We are live. Welcome to the Dispatches from the Scandamaniac Podcast. <laughs> I uh, just dropped the mic on the floor. High production value. But, uh, you know, I could choose to stop and restart, but I'm not going to. Welcome to the Dispatches we, we, from the Scandamaniac Podcast. <laughs> I am your host, uh, Rylan Johnson, aboard the uh, Scandamaniac here on the shores of Great Slave Lake. The boat is uh, officially floating. It was frozen a little crooked, but I came home yesterday and it was level. So it is uh, buoyant once again and not sinking, which is, you know, always nice after a winter. Um, I guess I'll start by uh, introducing my guest today on the Scandamaniac, sitting in the captain's chair too. We're recording this slightly differently than normal because the sun is blinding through the window, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, you can't see, but we're both wearing sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Nicole Goodman, welcome to the Dispatches from the Scandamaniac podcast. Hello. I feel like I'm speaking to a recording device with a furry hat, so That's it's exactly. nestled inside his shoes, so it's do my best to be casual. Um, Nicole, I guess uh, you are, you've been a long-planned guest on the podcast. You are probably the one, if not the most connected person left to not be on the <laughs> podcast and that... Your partner Brian's been on the podcast. All of our friends, half of Yellowknife Bay, has been on the podcast. So uh, small town. Yeah, exactly. The zero degrees of separation. It's good to finally have you on. Um, perhaps we can. I'm going to lead in by talking about myself. I tend to do that, I guess. I always listen to some of your podcasts. Okay. Familiar with the formula. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Um, to my listeners, I like to say my listeners. Actually, the. Last podcast I did was with Alex Parrott, which was was an amazing podcast because it was just Alex being so honest. And he's like a good friend of mine. Like I said in the episode, we've gone hunting, and which means you've spent hundreds of hours in the woods together. Um, and he just was very honest about his, you know, struggle with addiction and like a bunch of things I had no idea about. So it was a very real episode. And we've since like after that had some conversations and kind of built on it. So it's just like another example of this medium like he would not have ever chose me as the person to like come out and tell that story but like here i am with my rinky dink podcast and he's like here you are curating a space yeah i have a medium and i have a space for him so that was like really exciting um but that episode is also at 100 plus listeners which is the most i've ever gotten and you know 100 and yellow knife is more friends than i have so there's <laughs> clearly some people i don't even know listening to this um, yeah, and so I guess since that last episode, I've been making moves, you know, all my projects are coming to fruition. I, uh, officially quit my government in the Northwest Territories job, uh, being a lawyer, and I, uh, got some plans to move into private practice, I got some plans to run for MLA, I got some plans to Airbnb my boat, which Courtney, one of the houseboaters on the bay, is going to manage for me, got some plans to do sailboat tours i sent in my tourism operator license today got my insurance so i'm trying to break the golden handcuffs and bring in some sort of revenue stream and uh, i guess with that in mind uh nicole maybe you can tell me about your plans for early retirement <laughs> what, a, what a smooth segue yeah i'm great i'm great at this <laughs> are you drinking yes yes i am um yeah i don't know well a few minutes ago rylan asked me what i wanted to talk about and Something that's been on my mind a lot lately is early retirement. Um, I have all sorts of graphs and charts and whatnot. Um, yeah, I've recently gotten, well, recently in the last like three or four years, gotten quite into the internet blogosphere about early retirement and financial dependence and what that means. And um, basically it sprung up a few years ago when I really hated my job and I was thinking, oh, working sucks. How can I not work? And, you know, I'm a I have an affinity for numbers. I like math. I'm good at that sort of thing. I'm good at graphs. And I came across a bunch of resources actually breaking down how much money you need to retire. And I realized that it's really a lot less than people think and that actually financial literacy is just shockingly rampant in our society. Um, so, yeah, I guess summary of that, I'm planning on retiring at I don't know, maybe 37. And people would probably hear them and think, that's absurd. And I would turn that around and ask, how many of you actually have any kind of idea how much money you need to retire? Do you have any idea? No, of course not. <laughs> Goal one is pay off my student debt, you know? Well, if you have no idea how much money it's going to take, why do you think it's so impossible? I, I don't, I, could, I, I guess I'm not even, I don't even want to start planning for it because then I'm just going to be 37 and 
retired. Why is that a bad thing? I don't know if I do, I'm not saying it's bad. I just haven't planned it out. I guess this leads into a, a personality trait of yours, which I find very interesting and in that you are very organized and very like need to have things planned. I think they call this type A. Would you identify as type A? Yes. 11 out of 10. <laughs> um, but it's an odd combination because most people I associate with that, like, you know, don't like aren't as ridiculous as you and like aren't always kind of doing risky things and pushing the limits and yeah, you but know my risky things are so well planned oh, okay interesting yeah but it's a uh, you're an interesting friend in that uh you have that really like planned tight a thing but you're also completely willing to engage in all of my other projects which are just like i haven't planned them <laughs> at all for the record you know i don't know i mean it's all part of a broader plan you know whenever i put myself into a situation where i feel uncomfortable or stressed or like i'm not going to measure up i've done it on purpose knowing that putting myself in that situation will force me to i don't know for back, lack of a, a better more appropriate term man up and deal with it you know that's been my whole strategy for self-growth thus far is to put myself into a situation where i'm not qualified and be like well you're here now what are you gonna do you're not gonna fail so i guess you just you better deal with this yeah that's interesting it's like a combination of being very like you know ordinary and planning but completely willing to like you know put yourself in uncomfortable situations it's an odd combination in a human i really like it thanks um uh, it's worked well so far yeah no and i i think it's kind of the key to self-improvement is to like find structured and some and safe ways to challenge yourself you know where can i drop myself next yeah exactly um but i plan to drop myself here <laughs> i brought snacks yeah yeah exactly and i remember talking to uh, anita reese about this and she was saying she like there's this thing in psychology where people purposely saturate like if your fear is spiders you like get a pit of spiders and put them on you and you're just forced to wait it out until your fear is gone and like that's obviously the most extreme example but like findings like you know a way of coping with social anxiety like something i've dealt with is like finding social situations or like joining toastmasters or whatever to do public speaking things so it's like i think a lot of people don't flick that switch of like hey, maybe I should do the thing I'm afraid of. And, like, you know, if I plan it out, like, I guess I just have to eventually take the leap. Yeah, well, I mean, I think most people have not really necessarily spent a lot of time putting themselves into situations where if you fail, there are actually consequences. Because there's not that many situations like that that the average sheltered, privileged millennial finds himself in. So you kind of have to engineer that for yourself and be like, okay, here you are. There's no way to get out of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that too, because I, I think, I mean, probably the whole part of human experience for thousands of years, we were either going to war or being chased by some wild animal, or if we didn't get food, we starved, you know, like there was real consequences, and we've as such curated a safe society where you can just really live your entire life where the consequences <laughs> are, you know, not that serious for a lot of people, I mean, I you know obviously there's people who are starving and there's very real consequences for some people um but i this kind of ties into like how we were talking about like why you know ca uh canoe trips and like really big adventures are such character building exercises because it's like you're literally on your own you know this is you having to figure this out every single part of your whole mm -hmm. trip is just like either you plan it and do it right or you're gonna lose all your food and starve <laughs> Yeah, and you can set yourself up for success. And that's where I think that, you know, type A and dropping yourself off in the middle of nowhere intersects really well. So yeah. If you drop yourself off in the middle of nowhere, very well planned, your chances of success are definitely higher. <laughs> but you're still going to have that moment where you're sort of darkly staring yourself in the face saying, oh my God, can I do this? I have to answer the question. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. No, I like that. It's like... um facing your demons or whatever, facing your fears. Um, the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about is you are presently uh, working at one of the mines on a two-on, two-off rotation, which is... I've often debated whether I could do two-on, two-off. 
I think I naturally ascribe to the being able to like get in a work mindset and I could work 12 hour days. You know, often I answer emails past work hours or I can just kind of like be in work mode. But I don't know how I could deal with that sudden shift of like, oh, now I literally am not working and I have to find something else. My brother works in one of the mines. Yeah, you mentioned he works at a caddy, right? Yeah, and he um, he basically works just two weeks off. He just has another construction job on the side, you know, because he just can't like he's all, never been able to really switch out of work mode. So he's, he's really good at working. It makes way too much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think there are a lot of people who... Are really enabling their workaholic tendencies <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> by being at the mine. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I have definitely found it to be quite challenging mentally. Um, I mean, the position I'm in, I've had for less than six months, but um, before that, I worked rotation jobs at two other mines. And um, every time I go into it thinking, yeah, this is going to be so awesome, I'm going to have X number of weeks off, it's going to be the best thing ever. Woo! Let's do it! Uh, and then I come up to that time off and I realized it's actually much more challenging than I think it's going to be you know like for example in my mind I'm ready to go on all these vacations traveling the world or whatever on my time off and then I get back and actually I'm like physically incapable of stopping myself from falling on the sleep falling asleep on the couch every two hours because I'm exhausted because I've just worked two 90 hour weeks in a job where I'm like mentally extremely overtaxed and out of my comfort zone and sleeping in a dorm with paper thin walls with old men in the rooms on either sides <laughs> snoring and I can hear them fart all night. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it, it, it is challenging to shift gears that much, you know, and if you don't really take good proactive steps to make it good for yourself, I think it can be quite, quite bad for mental health. I think people maybe don't underestimate how proactive you have to be. Um, but I mean, not, not so much in this position. I think I have a really good support network now, but in previous rotation jobs, I remember I would spend my entire rotation at work kind of like being exhausted and really looking forward to what I would have and what I would be doing when I got home. And then I would get home and I would be exhausted and everyone else in the world that you know is working nine to five. And so you're kind of just waiting for people to be done work so they can hang out with you and sleeping the rest of the day. And it's it's pretty sad, you know? You get to thinking, wait, I spent two, three, four weeks waiting for this, and now I'm just day drinking and yeah. <laughs> waiting for people to hang out with me in the evening. So it's, you can make it really, really good for yourself, but um, I think the, the challenges of it are, are really overlooked. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think I probably don't even, um, when I think about two on, two off, I don't really even think about the, two on i'm just like oh wow you get two <laughs> weeks because off people don't understand what it's like yeah like i don't even and when you you know say that you're just working like i don't know what it's like to work 14 hour days and then sleep in a shitty dorm for two weeks straight i don't like i don't think i've ever had that experience you know i've had that experience where i'm like but i go home to my house at night and get shitty sleep but to yeah, do it in like hang this out with my friends or you know, a weird or world or you know. whatever yeah yeah, no, I mean, there. I don't want to sound like I don't like two and two because at the end of the day, I think it does work really well for me. Um, I just, I have a bit of frustration, a bit of baggage about people just like assuming that it's the most awesome thing and like, oh my God, why aren't you in like Portugal right now? You're home, like you have two weeks off. Why are you wasting it being here? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, being, being at work in the work zone can definitely be a really good thing. Um, I thought about it a lot in the last few months and something that I really like about it is that it forces upon me the kind of mental discipline to mediate a positive mental emotional relationship with the work that I'm doing. Um, I think a lot of people in Yellowknife and the world over will (laughs) uh, resonate with this but when, for example, when you are a bureaucrat or when you have a desk job and you're working nine to five, it's so easy to spend a lot of your time checked out. You know, yeah, like Monday sure. morning, write off. Friday afternoon, write off. Every day from three to five, distracted because you're thinking about what you're going to do in the evening. You know, and it's so easy to have a 40 hour work week and all of a sudden it's whittled down to 20 hours and what have you even done? And 
you don't really want to be there because you have like seven things scheduled for the evening and the weekend and your mind's there instead and the next thing you know you're just sitting there occupying that chair all day and that doesn't feel good you know you didn't work you know that you took a big salary just to do nothing it like you feel like a pile of garbage um yeah but i don't know it's like the whole system is set up to enable you to do that but the whole reason i like left private practice to get a government job was because i wanted more time to focus on my other projects and I did a really good job in the last year and a half of working on government and focusing on my other projects and, you know, like would spend some time at my government job working on other projects and like have got a lot of really cool community work going. But it's like that yeah. wasn't and, and I that's think... not a satisfying reason to take a job so you can do other things, you know? Yeah. And, it... and I think you're like really lucky in that sense. Well, I mean, like, you know, so you've worked really hard in that. You know, you're someone who has a lot on the go and you have a lot of other projects and a lot of other passions. And so you're able to bring those things in to fill your time. But I mean, I can think of and I'm sure you can think of literally dozens of people who spend their time with their jobs cycling between Instagram, Facebook, CBC News, The Atlantic, like whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, it doesn't feel good, but there's no I don't know, there's no mental safeguards in the system to make you stop. But when you're at work for a 14-day stretch and you're not ever going to have a day off and you won't have any distractions in the evening other than maybe going to the gym or, like, trying to spend some time on the shitty internet or, like, talking to someone on the phone but you're talking really quietly because the old man in the room on either side of you will, like, definitely hear everything you say through the paper-thin walls. <laughs> I, I don't know. You can't while that time away to nothing. Yeah, well, I, you would just go insane. Why would you even do that, you know? You could, That's interesting, like, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, have, have you ever tried to sit and, like, pretend to work for 12 hours a bunch of days? Like, it's literally impossible. And you try and do it for one day, and you're like, well, like, this is not going to work. I have to start caring about what I'm doing and being invested and being mentally engaged. Otherwise, I will actually go insane. <laughs> Like, I, I will not make it through this rotation unless I am dialed in. So it forces you to dial in kind of in a way because you have nowhere else to go. Um, and I really value that because something that's something that I've really struggled with in sort of more traditional nine to five jobs. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the reason that I, I really like two and two. You know, it's it, it's an interesting thing. I've, I've read a lot of research about the science of willpower and what's the best way to stop yourself from being distracted by Facebook or Instagram or CBC news or whatever. And all of the research says, Oh, actually willpower doesn't work. Willpower is a finite resource. You know, for example, there's research saying like showing like, you know, there'll be people in a room taking a test and volunteers who are (laughs) secretly part of the survey will come through and offer you like a healthy snack or an unhealthy snack. And depending on how much sleep you got the night before, you're like significantly more likely to choose the chocolate cake or the carrot sticks. So I don't know. I feel like the whole nine to five government job thing is just set up to make you feel like a pile of garbage because you're choosing the chocolate cake instead of the carrot sticks. But Actually, that's, that's just the way your brain works. So, I don't know. It's nice to have another incentive to to actually work hard and feel like you're good at your job and, like, you're using your brain instead of just being a blob taking up space in an office chair. Yeah, I mean, I guess to me it's kind of depressing, though, that, like, the way to incentivize that is, oh, we put you in a camp, you know, <laughs> 400 kilometers from anything and you work 12-hour days and you have no other options, you know? Like, oh, okay, that's the conditions we need for humans to be, like, forced to, you know, have that productivity. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's... Hmm. Is it really that different from, oh, I want to make this 12 hours meaningful versus I want to make this 8 hours meaningful? You know, like, for me, it's just a little bit on the other side of the scale that tips it. But... Yeah, for sure. And this is something I've debated in my life and that like it's very easy to have a government job and it be my second priority or my second passion, you know, like I don't define myself by my career, you know, 
and I define myself by all the other things I'm doing. But I, I wonder, like, well, this is why I quit my job. And it's like, I don't... Now it's just like those 40 hours a week are, to me aren't productive in that I'm doing something where it's like, well, I could actually spend time doing something else, which I actually enjoy. And, and no, I would just do without, like, you know, without sitting there pretending to work. I'm not going to pretend to work at my passion project, <laughs> you know? You just do it. Um, it's just curating that kind of space. So it's it's an interesting... Yeah, I mean, I guess viewed through that lens, working a camp job is kind of, kind of like even if your job is not your passion project, it has to be your passion project. Yeah. Because that's where you are, that's your environment, that's what you're doing. So in a way, it's kind of a kind of a shortcut to like the good feeling of being absorbed in your passion all the time. It's like, no, like, this is my life. I am, uh, insert whatever I do at the mine here. But I don't yeah. know, I, I think a lot of people don't really understand what they're capable of accomplishing and how smart and capable and accomplished they are until they're in a situation where, you know, their work is their life. But the nice thing about the camps is that it's a s safe space to do that because my job at Divic is not actually my life. I also have two weeks at home where I can do other things. It's like the the personal satisfaction and fulfillment that would come from, I suppose, being an obsessive workaholic, but I get to go home and I'm cut off and I can't even check my emails while I'm home. So I'm not allowed to be a workaholic for the other two weeks. Yeah. I also think there's this thing, uh, where we overvalue, um, what we're actually doing. And it's like, I've always thought that I would probably be happiest if I could just build fences all day. I love building fences. Like, you know, it's what very... Kind of <laughs> like artisanal fences? Functional no, fences? Just like... Whitewash picket fences? No, like cattle ranching fences with a post sticker. Because it's just, you get to see your productivity very straight. It's very straightforward. It's so measurable. <laughs> and like the idea that like I have to be doing X, it's like actually I just want conditions where like I have enough freedom in like when I choose to work and how I choose to work. And it's like very clear what I'm doing, you know? Like I would probably be pretty happy building fences for a living. But like we all think that like, I, it's like the secondary things, like is is your job actually productive? Is the, is it a way to see that? Is Are you getting positive feedback from a manager? Is there like the flexibility you want are far more important than like what the document you type up is every day or, you know, like what mm -hmm. you actually mm -hmm. do. And I think perhaps minds or well, no, perhaps the minds up here have learned a lot of those skills and curating like, okay, like you're saying, it's like these systems have to be in place or people just aren't going to work and we need them to work, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I was really impressed with and happy to see when I started this new position was in my hiring package, there was this whole package of resources of mental health related documents for fly-in, fly-out workers and their families. So it was yeah. like, this is how to talk to your spouse and your family about what fly-in, fly-out means. Like, here's a list of counselors that you can go to that specialize in this sort of thing. You know, here's a list of important questions and topics that you should bring up with your loved ones and, you know, boundaries you should set about your time and da-da-da. So I, I, I do think there's a lot of awareness of the challenges that it brings on behalf of the minds. Um, yeah, I, I just think that the average person in your life doesn't, it just isn't exposed enough to it. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think even from like a economic point of view, the minds have learned that like, oh, if we put some effort into like offering proper <laughs> mental health services and making sure like our workers are navigating these issues, like, oh, they're more productive and less of them quit their jobs and less of them get divorced and less of them, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, they should be pushing that as much as they can. It's in their own financial interest. Oh. As well as it's just in the interest of society. Definitely. I would say that's the number one reason that people quit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's just hard on relationships. Yeah, it's, it's hard and it's different from what everybody else is doing. Well, and I remember you like that, oh, why aren't you in Portugal? It's like we, our friend Sean like would go six months without being in town because he'd be traveling all the time. <laughs> and it's like, you don't even live anywhere. Like well, you have no community, you know? <laughs> Sean doesn't sleep. It's <laughs> an unusual case. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to do something online. I'm going to make you wear the headphones for a bit and see how you feel about the the difference. In... So this is what it's like to wear the headphones. Oh, I your, your voice I, sounds so different. I, uh, 
my goal is in the boat to set up like two proper mic stands and then both people can wear headphones um, because I find that actually like when I wear headphones you get like in the bubble like the conversation is just everything oh this is so bizarre I can see your mouth moving but that's not where the sound is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's like a it, it creates a bit of a weird intensity yeah. I think both Ryan's of them voices all around <laughs> <laughs> But I've, I've never put them on a guest, so I'm now I'm testing the theory of I don't actually have a microphone that's capable of running to. I guess I could get a splitter. I'm very low budget on the dispatches on this <laughs> Panamaniac podcast if anyone wants to sponsor us. Oh, actually, sorry. We're officially sponsored by Makerspace YK. I just made that decision. Ah, yes, yes. Could, could, can you second that as an unofficial member? Seconded, yes. <laughs> as an official Point. member, I guess. I don't, we don't have titles yet. Official um, member of an unofficial organization. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, we're filed. We're filed is the thing. This podcast brought to you by Makerspace YK. Quit your day job. Yeah, yeah. I made an awesome sawhorse the other weekend. Only one, so I can't actually lift anything, but it looks great. Well, we, we, we have a bunch of others. As the Makerspace, there's a bunch of them at Cat, so if you ever need an extra, Well, yeah, have well, a my pair. nearest neighbor, Dave, made a mistake, and now his is three inches shorter than mine. <laughs> so we were hoping to collaborate and lift things together, but now we can't. It's very annoying, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, well, now I feel a little lost without my headphones. Um, I guess... Bubble. I know, exactly. I guess the other thing I wanted to talk about is, um, so what are you going to do with your two weeks... We've talked a lot about your two weeks on, but your two weeks off in this kind of issue of not having friends nine to five. Um, and how, like, are you going to curate some new hobbies? Are you going to start another business project? Like, do you have <laughs> any thoughts? How has it been going to date? Like, what does your nine to five look like when you're back? Are you just looking around? Well, I mean, that's kind of a big question. That's something I've been trying to figure out for the last few months. Um, I initially had what I'll describe as a little bit of a like a retirement crisis decades too early. You know, I, I just kind of assumed, I think, that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm an interesting person. I'll have all this time off and all of these cool things will fill this vacuum. And then my first couple of rotations, I was like, wait, I have to work to fill the vacuum? Yeah, it's a lot Does of work. Does this mean that I'm fundamentally an uninteresting person? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I spent a little, little while lying on the couch in my house, staring at the ceiling over that one. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's definitely some proactive work. I'm working on cultivating a circle of friends and acquaintances who will do things with me in the nine to five. So if anybody yeah. is listening to this and thinking, <laughs> "Oh, I work in a, I work an alternative schedule," um, you should get in touch with me. A <laughs> shout out for friends for Nicole. Shout out for friends who are free nine to five. Yeah, I, I have canoes. I have paddle boards. I have boats. I like to do fun stuff. You should hang out with me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, no, I mean, to an extent, because I am gone and like totally out of commission for two weeks, there is some of the two weeks that's taken up with like general life stuff, you know, like things that you would do between like six and 10 PM on a regular day. I don't do any of that because I'm yeah. at work. So I would say that at least several days is taken up with, with life stuff. And then several days is taken up with sleeping a lot and yeah, recovering. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah, and the rest of the time I'm I'm still trying to figure out what to do with that nine to five. I feel a little bit weird saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, mean, I I don't know. It's it's new and it's different and it's it's kind of hard. What do you do when the the shape and the structure of your whole life changes so much? Yeah, and I think a lot of us don't even, you know, we take it for granted that we're just operating on a 9 to 5 schedule and I want, I'm curious to see what it does for me. I <laughs> might be looking to you for advice. Yeah, I mean, especially because I, you know, there are things that I can get involved in, but then I'm totally gone with zero capacity for two weeks in between that. Yeah, so. exactly. So you become the kind of annoying person sometimes in a project where it's like, where's Nicole? Oh, she's gone again. And then Have they don't night. even know when they're back. You know, it's like you need things that you can engage in, but only like at 50%. And it's it's almost not even 50%. It's like 40% when mm -hmm. you factor in the, you know, days of sleep you need. Oh, so many days of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... I really like adventuring. I spend a lot of my time planning adventures. Um, my partner and I just did a trip to Tofino. 
Um, I plan and organize it all. We're doing a whitewater trip down the Bolio River in June, doing a lot of work and planning for that. And then another whitewater trip in Ontario in August. So I'll plan for that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting mental battle to fight kind of because you know, sometimes you're at work and you've been there for like 10 days and the end seems so far away and you start daydreaming about all these things I'll do when I get home and then you get home and all of a sudden you're not in the work, 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 work mode. You're in the at home and sleep all day mode. And yeah, fair. I don't know. I am, I'm sort of drawing a blank of words to describe it, which is rare for me. I'm never at a loss for words, <laughs> but it's, it's a big adjustment. Um, not really related, but I um, wanted to talk about this too, and it's somewhat related. I wanted to talk about a bit about uh, curating space. And, and one of the reasons I started this podcast is A, that I, I think for a long time, I think I probably had a bit of a social media addiction and I had a government job where I was scrolling Facebook and then I just like, I deleted Instagram and Twitter and I, I don't know what other social Snapchat, I don't have any of those and I like... My Facebook is purely for like projects and like, you know, I manage social media accounts for organizations, but like, I don't even care what's going on on it other than like, you know, project related way. Um, but where was I going with this? Oh yeah. But one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I had that problem and I spent too much of my time on my phone. And then I find this medium creates like a little more real conversations and it engages more conversations and then I think it also leads to this level of intentionality in that, like, what you're saying even is, like, when you have time off and you have all this free time to yourself, it's it doesn't just happen. Like, you need so much intentionality in work. And I'm starting to imply that mentality to everything I do, including social interactions. It's like, if I want to get this out of a friendship, like, it's, it's work. Like, you know, it's nice when things just, like, flow easily and they're effortlessly, but that's, you can't count on that. And you can't count on just having your two weeks off kind of like, oh, yeah, like, it's just going to be fine. I'll, like, start a new hobby and I'll do all this. And yeah, it's... this is not a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. You don't, like, meet someone and, like, immediately bond over your love of, a, of an obscure 90s band. You know, yeah. you actually have to kind of go out of your way a little bit to Oasis. set up space... <laughs> spaces to really connect. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I do think that's super, super comparable. Yeah, and I, I guess I have found that in doing this podcast, like, the more and more people I've talked to, like, I, it forces me to, like, work on my conversation skills, and it forces me to, like, kind of reach out to people and be like, hey, let's have a talk, and I've found that intentionality, it's like a practice, you know, it's like, I'm not even worried about the end product, and I don't even care if anyone listens to this, but it's like practicing that intentionality in that and then it like makes me more comfortable like when I don't have a job to be like hey Nicole like let's let's just go talk and hang out or like let's go do this and like we're going to actually like do x y and z and i've found like it's really i i like the i've been focusing on intentionality lately i mean maybe that's cuz i just came off like a 10 day meditation course where like <laughs> the buddhists are all about intentionality and disciplining your mind but like the level of productivity I have I is just like it can be on this curve of like it's exponential almost, you know, once you start to just be like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I've broken it down into steps and like I can manage each of these steps, you know, like I can project manage so my social life. I can project manage yeah, Trello. <laughs> exactly. This is a shout out for Trello, my project management software I like. Um, I'm going to pass you these headphones for a sec because I really have to pee, but I have yeah, many yeah. thoughts on this conversation. Okay, okay, that's fine. Um, oh, oh. So, so to my few listeners listening, I have a few options while Nicole goes pee. I could pause it like a normal guest, or I could just continue to ramble on in the microphone, and I've, uh, as you may have guessed, chosen to continue to ramble on in the microphone. I think Nicole can hear me from in the washroom. Um... So I guess I'll just talk generally about what's going on. Um, Makerspace YK, the now sponsor of this podcast, I've decided. Uh, we have an application into the city to uh, put a sea can in the pop-up park. Hopefully that contract will come through this week or next week. And we'll see you in the pop-up park working with Cloudworks and Ecology North. 
doing a series of workshops on the website. Super excited about that. Um, we just, Makerspace by K just bought a school bus. So this weekend we're gonna rip all the seats out of the school bus. We're gonna put a little mobile workbench in there. When I quit my job, I'm hoping to drive to Betchico and maybe Providence and we'll, we'll see how far I get. Go to a few communities with some skillful people and teach them workshops with Makerspace. Um, the other thing we're doing is we just signed a contract with Folk on the Rocks and we are a sponsor with Folk on the Rocks and we're gonna set up an escape room there. So check out the Makerspace YK escape room at Folk on the Rocks. Um, in addition to all that, I just sent my got insurance for my sailboat tour business. So this summer, if you check out Airbnb experiences, you will see Rylan Johnson offering uh, sailboat tours slash lessons. Um, I'm hoping that kind of rolls out. I've, I've never used the Airbnb experience platform. It's really a ripoff. They take like 30%, which is insane. So I probably will create a separate website and booking service so that I'm not just paying Airbnb 30% of all of my sailboat lessons. But there's there's a bunch of these boat tours in Yellowknife right now that are just, you kind of drive around and you sit in a boat. And I think uh, my boat, especially my sailboat, it's small, it's kind of a dinghy. So it's a little more interactive and a little fun. You got to move around doing that. And I'll also be Airbnbing the boat. And that's an update on my life. I'll, I'm debating an MLA run, but I, I'm, I shouldn't really formally announce that, but, I, but who did. who listens to this podcast? Well, 100 plus people, apparently. Yeah, I guess I'm just, there's some feasibility things to work out, like where to run. And there's also this issue that happens in, uh, well, as we were talking about, is like Dan Wong could have run, but then some other idiot leftist runs and splits the vote. So like, I really have no urge to be that third party who splits the vote, you mm -hmm. know? And the annoying thing about our system, which I also like, is that there's no party. So it's just like this rumor mill of who's running where. And the debates are so confusing. Yeah. It's like, and here's the 12th person. You have no shorthand with which to judge their platform. So you I... actually have to listen. Who did? Nobody. Exactly. And so it's this annoying kind of thing where you have to like find out who's running where and you don't want to like screw up someone else's campaign. And, you mm. know, it's... I like it, but it's annoying that navigating all that politicking because I engage with politics at like, what does the legislation say? What is our policy? Can we like, you know, I'm a policy wonk first and foremost. I actually don't really care about politics. I like policy, but that was me on a side rant. Welcome back from your pee. <laughs> yeah, thank um, you. It was great. Before, yeah. before I was talking to the mic, we were talking about uh, kind of intentionality or I was talking about intentionality and curating space. Maybe you just want to talk about that now, and I want to drink this beer. Yeah, no, it's a definitely an interesting thing. I was I was thinking about that while I was peeing, um, and I guess I kind of associate a you know the ability to have a conversational one on one as a little bit more of an intimate thing, which for sure uh, you know on the, on the one hand like that's reasonable. I do sort of prize that more highly than a. I go with the flow like ah oh, like there's 17 people here and we're just like chilling mm -hmm. casually but like with no intention associated with it so on the one hand that's great but on the other hand i do sometimes feel like that's a barrier to having the kind of time that i want like i can definitely think of a lot of people in town sure. where it's like oh like i think this is like a really cool interesting person i would love to have a one-on-one -on -one with them but i feel kind of shy or weird or awkward to ask well for years of my life i was afraid to kind of hang out with even good friends one-on-one -on -one. like if we were gonna go for breakfast i needed another person there as a social crutch and this podcast has been an exercise in me getting over like one-on-one -on -one intimate conversations yeah oh they're so good I, I feel like i've spent a lot of my life racking my brain trying to think of social like excuses or like activities that can bring one other person or a small group of people together and like kind of get conversation going and get people feeling comfortable in a group that's not just me saying hey like I would like to hang out with you one-on-one -on -one. <laughs> so I've got this like medium long to long list of things that I'll ask people to do and really when I'm asking someone to do that it's just like oh like I would like to hang out in like 
a different situation than like 30 people at a party and I'm afraid to ask you. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some some events or situations that you've been in? You must have a shorthand list of, of activities or things that you will do when you want to curate this kind of space. So what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I no, like I said, I started this podcast. I also think there's this like, as you get older, it becomes harder to like, be friends with a person like so much of our social interaction is based on dating especially if it's like a person of another gender but it's like it's weird to be like hey like do you want to like if you just meet someone and you have a conversation it's engaging like hey do you want to go for coffee or like hang out or like you know i don't even know if we have a good way oh, to do that yeah in a way that's not based on proximity yeah. yeah like oh we live on the same floor we live in the same house and we're really hungover and we're lying on the couch dying talking to each other Mike yeah. Westwick, if you're listening, yeah, talking yeah, exactly. to you. <laughs> um, but I've found that like I am best at making friends when we're doing things, and and it even like I before this, I always believed the best date was uh, doing errands. I just like love the idea of like there's no social pressure because we're doing other things. Mm -hmm. But like uh, all of my friends right now are based out of like either you know doing lawyer things or doing making things you know like doing sports things yeah doing... exactly and i i think there's just no real way around that like we haven't built a culture that like i mean drinking is the other way people make friends but it's not a sustainable long-term like basis for friendship so like I, I, I don't have a magic answer. You can create a podcast. It's a good way. <laughs> or you just have to do things, you know, and sports are like a comfortable way to like, oh, well, we have this objective so we can kind of engage and it's safe. Mm -hmm. But and if I really don't like you, it's still fine because you have to play within the rules of the game, you know, and the rules of the game. We're on a team or whatever. Um, I've been getting a lot more into board games recently. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really good way to get a small group of people together and get people really thinking and using your brain and, and strategizing and kind of, for a while, shedding for their, or maybe just mine, maybe I'm projecting, like, self-conscious awareness of the social mores of everything that's happening no, around no, absolutely. you. Just like, oh, like, we're doing an activity, like, just like you and me, two brains, thinking about how to stop this pandemic from overtaking the world <laughs> of course you're talking about a pandemic <laughs> fucking cooperative games i hate cooperative <laughs> board games um, um yeah uh, a couple of things i've done somewhat recently i mean they are related to drinking because that's sort of an unavoidable crutch i guess um but two things that i've done in the past few years that have are like on the top of my list of social activities that really brought people together were alcohol tastings but yeah, yeah structured that's a good one. yeah so one of them was a wine tasting party and so we like divided all the wines into different types of wines like this is the table for your malbecs this is the table for your pinot noirs um, yeah. that sort of thing and then we had this huge whiteboard and everyone could write their thoughts um and so it was like a a topic for people to talk about that was sort of the like the bridge or the crutch into getting conversations going people sharing they're like oh well like this is what this flavor means to me. Um, at one point, I tried to instigate a contest of draw the feelings that are inspired <laughs> when you drink this wine, but people were too drunk. Um, like and that. then another, a, a beer tasting party I had in, I don't know, maybe 2016. And um, we gave everyone a huge poster board that was folded into 16 squares and finger paints. And the whole point of the night was that you were supposed to finger paint your impressions of each beer. And everyone was trying that's the great. same beer at once. Yeah, it was small. It was like maybe 12 people. We brought like a couple of bottles Yeah, I think of that's beer. a cure in curating space is that that magic number of like any... Oh, we were talking about this too workshops in workshops. Like anything bigger than 20 is unmanageable. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like teachers in classroom sizes. Like anything bigger than 20 <laughs> is too much. Like I've taught workshops to adults and it's too much, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. But I don't know, with a small group, I, th I do think there is kind of a, a magic in everybody going through a progression of the same sensory experiences Absolutely. and sharing their thoughts about them. And again, like having that, that central trope that you're focusing on kind of cuts out the awkwardness of the like, ooh, like we're just a bunch of people like talking about our sensations about things. Is, is this weird? And yeah. it was so lovely. Everyone started out with these beautiful finger paints and then they all sort of morphed into looking more like vaginas and by the last like 
13 to 16, they were just like smeared. Just okay. rubbing paint <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but period one through nine or so were great. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I love semi-structured social space. Well, and I think that we all think that our social space, like our social spaces are semi-structured anyways. Like the going to a party and drinking beer and having small talk about the weather is structured. Like it's what the societal structure is. And then like, but you can take that structure and tweak it a little and, you know, board games, finger painting. I do like, like reading oh, nights so or, much you know, more interesting. yeah. And it's just funner. I, I, it's funny you talk about board games. I remember Sydney talking about coming over to your house to learn Euchre and she's like, I can't go to the houseboaters because they're all too serious about their fucking games. <laughs> I don't think I was there that yeah. night. And I like I uh, usually plan Euchre nights for nights when I'm not home. No. <laughs> and I, I've, um, oh yeah, you were probably in camp. But I, I had never heard anyone say that. And I was like, what? Oh, wow, that is just so true. Like, so many of these fucking houseboaters got crib boards and, like, got games and they're serious about the rules. And then I'm like, well, I'm not. Oh, shit. Like, I am. Like, if we're playing board games, I pull out the almanac in Kandan and I can be like, page 13, when you put a road, it divides it and you lose your longest road and you can build a settlement. To sp Anyways, I'm trying to explain a rule over audio. It's not working. I'm very ornery about the well, rules. I don't know. I mean, how many other situations in your life do you have where you can really unabashedly get strategically into stuff? Exactly. And it's not kind of weird and awkward. It's like, oh, like, Rylan, like, you're getting really into that. No, it's kind of like we were talking about curating, like, a space to push yourself, like, with a rafting tour. It's like, you know, I'll never be in a position where I'm a general, like, managing war or something people did. Or, like, I'll never be in, like, it's like a safe, regulated zone to, like, see how aggressive you can be and negotiate and learn skills. And, like, we do this for children. That's why we teach children to play games. And I don't like when people take them out of adulthood. Like, oh, you're an adult now. You've learned all the skills you're supposed to need. We never teach adults how to play games. We never teach adults, like, how to do anything properly. We're just all supposed to figure it out. And it's like so many of us are just walking around incompetent, you know? Oh, yeah. Or in terms of dealing with emotions, too. Like, you know, I can't Amen. think of a lot of situations other than, like, well, A, board games, or B, like wilderness sport things that I've failed at where I've really had to like face like oh like I lost or I failed and I feel really upset slash sad slash angry about that what am I gonna do yeah exactly oh, I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah and especially like when you get upset during the game it's like oh, well, I have to continue doing this. I want to like, flip the table. Yeah, I can't just flip the table. And it's like, that's just like, that scenario is designed for real life. That's why we play games. And I think the emotions is a great one because, I don't, like, it's becoming more prevalent. It wasn't when I was growing up, I don't think. Well, it wasn't. But it's becoming more prevalent with children that were like, I remember talking to Michaela on the, she, she's like episode two or something on this about motherhood. And she's talking about as she was teaching her child, Elliot, uh, how to express his emotions because children don't know how to express their emotions. You know, they, when they act out and break something, that's them saying, look, mom, I'm actually really upset. There's something that's been going on in my yeah. life and stressing me. And this is how I'm coping with it. Like, you know, that's what the kid is saying when he smashes his toy or whatever the example is of them acting out. Um, Sort of like, I think a lot of the literature around children is like, okay, maybe we need to teach children how to express their emotions. But then there's this whole gap of adults and it's like, well, we just, none of us are learning because I know so many people. I'm like, oh my God, like I've taken some anger management. You should go. Like, <laughs> I know you think it might be cheesy or stupid, but they're like, they say some things sometimes and you're like, oh wow. Like, that's so important. I wish someone said that to me when I was eight, you know, it would have <laughs> saved me a hell of a lot of fights. Uh, a, uh, a really interesting dinner party that I went to a few years ago. It was a, I mean, it was a Christmas dinner, but the theme of the Christmas dinner was um, serious conversational topics, only no small talk allowed. Yeah. Um, and anyone who reverted back into small talk of like, Oh, like weather, your job, I don't know, this thing that happened in Yellowknife News recently, um, would like, I mean, fairly gently, but like still get called out. Yeah, yeah, I uh, like that. Like, yeah, and there was like Forced a, vulnerability moments. Yeah, there was a, like a dish in the middle of each, like a, a little centerpiece of like 
topics that you could draw out of the jar if you were feeling yeah, yeah. Sh- short. And I, I remember like, you know, something that's happened recently that you're proud of or... Um, yeah, such a good kind of trust exercise yeah, too. Like, like recent situation in which you felt vulnerable. And it's it's too bad. I went to to one of them and it, it, it went really well. And then I went to a second one and it was, I don't know, people sort of had more trouble getting into it and it was it was a bit harder and I think maybe some people were kind of put off by the idea um but it's it's too bad because it like once you get into it it's it's so good but it is a bit scary and I remember a, a friend of mine was there at the first one and he later confided to me like you know Nicole like at one point I went to the bathroom even though I didn't had to, I didn't have to pee and I just sat there like scrolling through my phone for for a brain break but huh. yeah, I've, I've often since then kind of wanted to do a a serious conversation topic dinner but it's you know it's kind of like scary to put yourself out there and make I, a facebook i, I would attend like, for sure <laughs> maybe people won't go i remember uh, jelaine saying she was also on the podcast saying it's funny that i'm just quoting back podcasts but it comes to mind um, self-referential <laughs> yeah um listen listen to my episode subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or you can just listen to rylan rehash yeah um no, she was saying she tries to start a lot of her interactions with like, what are your highs and lows for the week? Or like, what are your hmm. peaks and valleys? Because it immediately like, hey, how's it going? What are you like? You want to talk about your best moment and your worst moment? Which is like, I think a thing I knew families who would like go around the dinner table and kind of do that with once again with children, like teaching people to talk about mm-hmm. them. You know, this is family time. But she's like carried that on. And it's just like immediately like gets very honest answers out of people. So, Nicole, what are your <laughs> peaks and valleys for the week? And it's interesting because you have a week being in town and at work. So, wow. Um, well, I would say... Hmm. My valley for this week, my lowest point this week... Um, so, I mean, I, I was only at Divic for a week this time because I'm doing a sort of a month of weird one-on, one-offs. Um, but my, my lowest point was a point we ended up doing something absurd, like 30 hours out on snowmobiles doing like under ice sampling with augers in three days. I was really sick when I flew up to camp. So I was just like hacking up so much mucus. And I would say that my valley was a point where I realized that it, you know, it was too late no matter how much more sunscreen I applied, I was screwed. And actually the inside of my very chafed, snot-dripping nostrils were sunburned from the glare off the tundra because I'd been out there for so long. And I remember trying to blow my nose and it hurting so bad and, like, blood coming out of my hands. I was just like, this is terrible! What do you mean this is my life? Yeah, yeah. That was, that was a valley. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that fair a one. Yeah, yeah. It was just like... Oh, right. That's... It's like 9 o'clock. We're going to go back to camp. I'm going to sleep for a few hours. I'm going to wake up and have another 14-hour day. And Do it all over again. My nose again. will probably still be bleeding. And on top of that, I look like a fucking raccoon because I was wearing big sunglasses all day. And all of these like old men in camp are staring at me. And I'm sad and I want to go home. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, no, but then like the valley, the, the, sorry, the peak of my week was... You know, I got back to the airport in Yellowknife and my, like, loving partner was there to pick me up and we went back to our houseboat and he, like, stroked my hair and I had a three-hour nap on the couch and I felt so much better. Oh, I'm just that's... like, I'm, I'm home now. It's better. My nose isn't bleeding. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, when the two halves of your life are so different, it's kind of hard to compare between the two, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's neat. If you asked me in a week where I was, like, completely a diavic, I would have totally different answers. Yeah, it's neat to split it. Or like, you have, your life has peaks and valleys, or what? It's not even the right term. It just yeah. has two different lives to it. It's... Yeah, and, like, you know, like, honestly, like, I really do like my job, and I really like being a diavic most of the time. But it's hard to for anything to compare with, like... You know, the amazing feeling of coming home after, you know, one or two weeks away of, like, not really sleeping properly and, like, falling asleep on the couch it, while your loved one strokes your face. It sounds like you just need some better insulation in your walls. Like, <laughs> can I come there? I'll, 
get some spray foam and you know oh, god i want to wait insulate them up. for a permanent room and the permanent rooms do have better insulation but it sounds like it'd make your sleeping life a lot better uh, yeah i wear a lot of earplugs and when I can hear things through the earplugs, I go around and I pound on the doors around mine. And it's uh, funny, people always answer the door and I can like tell they're like a bit aggressive and puffed up. And then they see it's a young woman knocking on their door and just like instant deflate. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, like, would you mind turning it down just a little bit? I'm trying to sleep. I don't need to. <laughs> sorry. You can't see, but I just push my boots together. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think in that sense, I have an easier time of it than some people, but, um, yeah, it's not the best sleeps. Yeah. That's, oh, that's painful. I've never had an issue. Well, I, I think I would pass right out after 14 hour day working, <laughs> ice augering, water sampling, yeah. but, but what about a 12 hour day of sitting at your desk? Yeah, no, I don't sleep. I don't sleep after 12 hour days at the desk. I need some physical movement to pass out. Yeah, so I'm work out obsessively in the small gym. Yeah, that's fair. I remember talking to uh, Catherine Raymond, also on the podcast about this, uh, saying like she actually has found that the her job has been like helpful for her mental health at times because she like gets on, she likes a routine and like her life at camp is like eat an egg white omelet, go to the gym, go to work, go to the gym eat the same meal, go to bed. Like she's just like her OCDs ramped up, but it's like but it's enough. a safe place to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wake up, I eat two fried eggs on toast. I go <laughs> to work. I do a quick workout at lunch. I go back to work. I come home. I do another workout. I eat dinner. Maybe I take a shower. Usually I don't because I'm gross. Then I call Brian Then I go to bed. Then I yeah. wake up. Um, yeah, the other day someone asked me, like, oh, well, like, you know, what kind of books do you read while you're up there? I'm just like, books? My regular schedule has exactly, like, 12 minutes to spare. <laughs> In a way, it's kind of nice to be freed from the burden of making decisions about what you do with your time. Burdens that come back in force when you're suddenly back for two weeks with... Nothing to fill your time. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Only to find those muscles atrophied because you've had 12 spare minutes per day for the last two weeks. <laughs> I, uh... Hmm, 12 more minutes. Should I call Brian again or should I call my mom? <laughs> that's funny. I think in this, like, uh, planning period of quitting my job, I've uh, been overestimating how much time I have. And I, uh, I'm, like, I'm very... Well, I mean, part of being a lawyer but private practice is you are on the billable hour model, so you budget your time very effectively in time management, and every minute you track is very important because you bill it back, and, you know, like, you want to be maximizing billable hours, so it's like you're just so efficient with time. And then when you get to government, that slacks. For the, yeah, for the first while, I was still kind of in that mindset, like, oh, I'm switching files now. I should change my billable hour tug counter. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, I don't. I just, I can take 20 minutes off and just look around, you know? Um, but in planning to leave, I've just been like rolling out all of these options. And like, I think it's also kind of like a, a safety net in that, like, if this doesn't work out financially, well, like, oh, I have this plan and I have this backup plan. And, like, I need a few sources of income to even get close to, like, the GNWT salary. And, like, these are things I can do. And, you know, if I don't like this, I'll have this. But uh, I think I, like, now that I, like, on Monday I quit, like, yesterday I had, like, I started scheduling out my summer. And I'm like, there is no possible way I can do all this. Like, and I had a bit of a moment of, like panic and clarity of like funny at the both the same time like panicking like i clearly have taken too much on thinking that like oh i won't have a job i have so much free time and clarity of like okay now this is happening like maybe you should plan out what a 40 hour work week looks like so you're not quitting your job to work 80 hours a week mm -hmm. which is like it's uh yeah and i mean your baseline certainly gets skewed when you spend a long time working a 40 hour week where much of it is just like fucking around and 
actually maybe you're working a 15 hour week yeah and it's an interesting but work that you hate so time feels like it's going differently yeah that's not really the case at my job in that like i'm running around busy all the time and there's people in my office all the time and i'm kicking them out and like i'm like researching things or like i can legitimately read a book on environmental law at my work and like i can justify that being things because it's like well i'm Get it, answering high-level policy questions, <laughs> and here's an expert who wrote a book on it. Um, but it's like the time crunch just isn't as real, and the consequences are real. Like sometimes I feel like I could read this new Supreme Court of Canada case law that will take four hours. That's directly on point to my job, or I could not, and no one will notice. Like there's just no like back to me talking about building a fence. There's no like clear result or measurement. No one knows if i did that or not mm. and it's like not having that That's like hard. direct measurement is is difficult um wow this just turned into us ranting about our jobs interesting, hey, interesting. my job's great <laughs> um okay we're at about an hour do you have any thoughts on where else what we should talk about before we wrap up um i guess just one thing i wanted to know is um you know if you have any thoughts for anything coming up that you'd like to do or you know, any great ideas for how you would like to next curate space. Um, this is something that I've, I've, I've noticed that you do a lot is you would like go out of your way to create social scenarios that are like focused around things that you're interested in or that you'd like to do to try and bring people together like that. And I, I really appreciate that because I think you have that intentionality that not a lot of people do. Uh, and I was just wondering, yeah, like, I don't know what's like, what's in Ryland's summer for like, bringing people together yeah it's a funny one because it's like i the reason i do that is because i had social anxiety for years so it's like it's odd to like create and curate so many social events but um yeah i i would we've talked about this before though in that like when we end this in this episode like the optimal amount of people and like making sure people are engaged and i think that the whole point of like the makerspace thing was kind of just bringing all of my projects into <laughs> one location you know there's like very little i mean there is consistency but like we did drafting we're gonna do beading we did carpentry like maintain your outboard motors i have a bunch of outboard motors and i need to maintain them and it's <laughs> yeah, like nice to like curate a space you know um yeah and then i say i think kind of the same thing with yeah i don't know i i i am i am always debating i i think the houseboat life kind of leads into like curating more spaces and then there's a community and it's easier to approach people to do things you already have like the best hanging out space in town and then that is a nice thing about living somewhere highly visible like yeah. you do when you're on a houseboat it's like if there's a few people hanging out on the roof or the deck or whatever that's very visible and everyone paddling by will like stop and see what's up but exactly that's why this podcast is on the boat because people <laughs> come to the boat and just show up and it's like okay well now you're on a podcast we're talking now yeah um i i would like to work more on my writing and I have, like, a lot of half-finished books, in quotations, maybe book ideas, you know? Some, some like, some have got to uh, 120 pages, which is a booklet, That's a novella. A novella. Yeah, you know, like, I've, a lot of time, but, like, none of them are anywhere, and I... That's, like, a, another space I'd like to curate, because I find it's a nice introvert space, and a lot of the ev events, naturally, that a person curates are kind of designed for extroverts because they're social links. But, like, it's I've had events where we all sit in my living room and we write. And, you know, it's like you can have 20 minutes go by where no one really says anything. And they're like, hey, can I test this out? And so I've been trying to explore that a little more, kind of these introverted scenarios. But I also find the pot, it's interesting that the one-on-one the -on -one dynamic actually... I had Tannis on the podcast, who I would definitely say is an introvert. I mean, she identifies as an introvert. is 100%. Um, but the one-on-one, -on -one, I find a lot of the introverts, like, come out of their shell, and they're very open to this. So I've been, like, tracking down my introverted friends <laughs> who, like, I know are good <laughs> I friends. I know how to get you. Yeah, and it's like, oh, wow, this is the perfect space for you. It's just me and you in a boat, and, like, with enough talking and enough time, like, you start just feeling comfortable. Um 
And I think writing does that because people are like, you know, you get to channel all your thoughts and you get to edit mm -hmm. it and then you get to read it aloud after you've spent enough time with it. So if you have that issue of like, which I don't have, obviously, of just speaking on the fly and spewing words out, it's like writing allows you to like pull it back a little and then present it. So that's one I've kind of been working on. But hmm. I'm always any introverts who are listening. <laughs> please come on the podcast because I find <laughs> it some of the most game. interesting guests. Well, and it's also interesting as a friendship because it's like, if you're my extroverted friend, I've heard all your fucking stories. I know what you're talking about. But if you're my really introverted friend, it's like, oh, wow, you have some secrets. Or like, wow, you've never told me that because wow, you don't really talk. you this stuff and you didn't brag about it? Yeah, I know. Why aren't you just telling everyone what you're doing all the time? God, that's what I do. I this so much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So, um, all right. Well, uh, I'm going to end the episode and absent any other comments. All righty. Uh, signing off, Dispatches from the Scandamaniac. I am your host and captain, Rylan Johnson. How do I turn this thing off?